0: And so let's read Psalm 77 together, this, this psalm of two halves, if you like. Psalm 77, and as we read, I, w- I want you to look out for that pivot point. I want you to try to see what changes and when it changes, and therefore how we go from despairing doubt to rapturous praise as we read through these, these sometimes difficult words from Psalm 77. So let's read these together. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This, this really is a, a psalm of two halves, isn't it? Let, let me pray as we reflect on what God may be saying to us this morning. Father, we pray that in your mercy, you would speak through your word. We thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would, move mightily in our hearts and therefore in our lives as we go from this place by your truth for your glory we ask amen so so this psalm does start bleakly yet it ends triumphantly and so what might god be saying to us uh, through this great psalm this morning well i want to take a look at the example of asaph as he makes that journey from sorrow to praise and that journey maybe you noticed that that journey hinges on verse 10 so perhaps you saw that as we read through the, that verse, that psalm together. Verse 10 begins with the defiant, then. He, he, he had been sharing his doubts. He had been questioning. He had been causing, uh, explaining his sleepless nights and his trouble. Then, verse 10. That's the hinge. That's the pivot point. That's where things transition for Asaph in his heart and therefore in his words. And so it really is this psalm of two halves. What comes before the then of verse 10 and what comes after the then of verse 10. And so let's take a look briefly at what, at the state of things before the then, which is not easy to say, so I'll not say it too many times. Let's have a look at how this psalm begins. It seems to start, in some ways we we might expect it to start like this. It seems like a helpful start, verse 1 and 2. I cried to the Lord for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. Yes, this is a good start. We would commend Asaph for this. We would say, yes, this is the good and right and biblical response. If you're a follower of God and you find yourself yearning for him, then cry out to him, seek him. That is the right thing. That is what we know of our God. He is the God who wants to be sought. He is the God. He is our refuge and strength. He is our very present help in time of trouble. And so we want to say yes and amen, Asaph. Brilliant. You cried out for help. You cried out to God to hear you. You sought the Lord because you were in distress. But verse 2 continues in a way that we might not expect then. Indeed, the whole psalm maybe continues and follows a pattern that we wouldn't expect. See, we see this raw emotion, this deep wrestling. So Asaph has cried to the Lord. He seeks the Lord, but he doesn't find comfort. He doesn't find strength, or at least he won't be comforted. We read in verse 2. In verse 3, he remembers God and he groans. He meditates and his spirit grew faint. We, we, we might assume that you meditate on God and you, your, your strength is renewed. Think of Isaiah 40. Our strength is renewed like the eagles. No, well, here is Asaph meditating on God and his strength f- goes faint. This doesn't seem to be what we would expect to happen. We would expect for there to be some kind of shift in his thinking immediately as he does that. But the psalm still goes on to show Asaph turning from this sorrowful start to a worshipful conclusion. So so what is it that changes? If it's not the result and the the following on from his crying and his seeking that we would expect, what does change to lead Asaph to praise? There must be some kind of dramatic change in his circumstances to to take him to that point. Well, we're not told of any change in his circumstance. We're, We're not told that he sought the Lord And he found his answer, so he led to praise. No, we're not told that. We're not told of anything in his physical circumstances that he's dealing with that changes, that brings about this praise. And I actually think the lack of explanation in a change in circumstance for Asaph is exactly the point that we're supposed to see here. He starts with sorrow, he ends with praise, and we're told of nothing in the middle other than the then. And that's what we need to focus on. So we're not told in any change in Asaph's circumstances, but we are most definitely shown a change in his perspective. And if you'd indulge me for a minute, can you, can you raise your uh, your, your, uh, your, main, your first finger in your right hand? Hold the, Let's start. Hold it up above your head. Can you draw in the air, draw a clockwise circle? If you're not sure which way is clockwise, just look around at someone else. Keep that hand moving in the same direction, but lower it down so that it comes to around your. Now look down at that circle. What direction is your hand moving? Anticlockwise. <gasps> Nothing has changed apart from our perspective. We started by looking from below. We end by looking from above and things seem different. Now that's it. <laughs> the McFerrin men still can't get it. But the, it's, it's, it's a very simple illustration to show that our perspective is changed. I think that's what we see in Asaph here. That's what leads him to the then. His circumstances look one way, they end another way, and in the middle we have then. And that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. Now, please hear me. I am not suggesting, because I don't believe the Bible does, I'm not suggesting that God doesn't care about Asaph's concerns. I, I, I'm not saying that God's word doesn't provide the answers to the questions that Asaph raises. But what I would love us to see is an encouragement that this psalm is in the Bible. Just like what Stephen mentioned last week, that God has preserved these difficult words for us as a gracious gift for those of us who say a hearty amen to the first half of this psalm. Those of us who find ourselves in moments of deep despair, there's a psalm for you. There's many. This is one example. And what a gracious gift of God that he has given us these words. So for those of us who find ourselves racked by anxiety and doubt and, and fear over God's activity and God's trustworthiness, look to Psalm 77. Those of us who lose sleep because our minds are worrying. And then, of course, the result of that is we get less sleep because our minds won't stop. Those of us who know this all too personally, take heart that there's a psalm here. Those of us who are are crying out with questions like we see in verse 7 to 9, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all times? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? These are huge questions. And many of us may be able to echo them in our hearts and they can be crippling questions. Because when when we're in seasons of these questions where these doubts and anxieties and fears over who God is and what he's able to do, they cloud our ability to trust him. They, They make us question whether indeed God is good and if he can be trusted. And we'll think about these questions in a little bit more detail in a moment. But what I'm hoping to see is that Asaph starts here, he ends with praise, but his circumstances haven't changed. What has changed has been where he sends his appeal, where he turns his heart. And so if you find yourself in the first half of Psalm 77, then do what Asaph does. Say, then, to this I will appeal. See, one of the things I think we God would have us learn from this Psalm is that we must never allow our ever-changing circumstances and emotions to drive our understanding of our unchanging God and his unchanging truth. We must never allow our ever-changing circumstances, our ever-changing emotions and experiences to drive our understanding of our unchanging God and his unchanging truth. So yes, we ebb and flow in our faithfulness to him. We ebb and flow in our perception of him, but he is eternally solid. Therefore, in these seasons of questions, when they come, and they can come, as Asaph is experiencing here, these questions can come thick and can come heavy. But let's not allow our experience and our emotion to cloud our view of the truth of who God is and the truth of his word. And so so Asaph's circumstances haven't changed. So what does he do? He shifts his perspective to something that can't change. His perspective changes and he pivots to turn to God's truth. And that's what we see in verse 10. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. To this I will appeal. To this I will turn my attention. To this I will put my hope. To this I will stand on the foundation of my faith. And look at verses 10 to 12, and we see what he turns his attention to. To this I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. What does he turn to? What does he make us appeal to? To God. Particularly God's faithfulness in the past. And so even in his present circumstances where doubts and questions are flooding his mind and his heart, Asaph turns and chooses to look back to God's proven faithfulness in the past. And in doing so, he's brought to a place of worshipful wonder. You see, the, the, the then of verse 10 is a crucial point before the then of verse 10. So in verses, nine to, in verses one to nine, We see Asaph use the term I or me or my 18 times in nine verses. Now, of of course, thinking about himself is not a bad thing. Indeed, we go on in verse 11. I will remember, I will remember, I will consider, I will meditate. The problem is not speaking of oneself, but the problem is the, the focus that that had taken of Asaph's heart. Because after the hinge from verse 10 to 12, from verse 10 on... We then see Asaph say, you or you're speaking of God 17 times. He's completely shifted his focus. He's completely shifted his perspective to gaze on something wonderfully and solidly eternal. And in doing so, he sees it's a celebration of God's character. It's a celebration of God's deeds. It's a celebration of God's power. And with those foundation stones firmly beneath his feet, the psalmist then praises God because God indeed can be trustworthy. Look at what he's done. Look at who he is. Look at how strong and powerful he is indeed over all creation and nature. And so we see this fuel for praise after this pivoting in verse 10. And for our last few moments together this morning, I'd like us to look at that fuel that Asaph turns to, that fuel that stokes the flames of worship and praise in his heart. So we see it right from verse 10 right to the end. Of, of the psalm. And the psalm ends quite abruptly, doesn't it? it, it it's as if Asaph is, is recounting in his head this specific moment in history and he's, he's left in praise, sort of left on a bit of a cliffhanger. But as Asaph looks intently back to the wonderful things that he knows God has done in the past, he's reminded that God is the same, that God hasn't changed, God hasn't dropped the ball, God never fails, God is never late. And those are truths that then switch his, his deep depression to sovereign praise. And so from verse 13 on, we're told what Asaph is specifically looking and thinking of and recalling as he remembers the deeds of the Lord, as he remembers his miracles of long ago, as he considers his works, as he meditates on his mighty deeds. All of those are verse 11 and 12. Then from verse 13 on, it's very clearly remembering the exodus of God's people from Egypt. Specifically the moment at the Red Sea when God rescues the people by bringing them through those waters. And of course that is a, that is a moment in history worth celebrating and, worth, and a moment in history which will lead us to praise our great and saving God. But without going into the detail of that account, what I find interesting here is the psalmist is recalling something that he wasn't personally there for. Now, that's not to say that Asaph hadn't experienced enough of God's grace in his own life to be fuel for praise, but he chooses to look way beyond his own experiences, back into what he knows God has done in the past. And how wonderful it is that God has gifted us with the record of his work among his people. That's what this is. That's what Asaph does. He's looking generations back to how he knows God has worked in the past, and that fuels his praise, which transforms his understanding of the present. And so God has given us his timeless and authoritative word and and how helpful it is to look outside of our own experience and our own emotion, even though we know God has been gracious in our lives. There's enough evidence we can all testify to God's work in our lives, which will then lead us to praise. But in those moments of doubt and anxiety, sometimes we need to look outside of ourselves. And when we do, God has given us all the evidence and more than we need to lead us to praise. And so when we find ourselves in moments of despair, moments of torment in our faith, moments of questioning, is God good? Is God trustworthy? Then we can look back beyond our own feelings and emotions to solid foundation that he has given us in his word. We can know with complete assurance then that God is who he says he is. And so he has given us his word. He's revealed himself to us in these pages. And primarily, he has shown us himself in the person of his son. If, if we're ever to doubt whether God is good, if we're ever to doubt whether God is trustworthy, look to the cross of Christ. Jesus Christ, who, who left the glories of heaven and took on human flesh. Jesus, who walked and lived among his creation so he would be able to fully and completely sympathize with their weakness. Jesus, the sinless sacrifice who died in our place, so that we might know forgiveness from sin. We might know life in all eternity with him. Jesus, who gives his spirit to indwell us and empower us to follow him faithfully. Jesus, the one who defeated death. Jesus, the one who has now ascended to the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living among the dead. This is Jesus. And so if we doubt his goodness and his trustworthiness, look to him as we see him revealed in the pages of Scripture. And so even if we ask these questions that we see in this psalm, we can see with the gift of where we stand now in redemptive history, we can see that Jesus is the answer to these questions that Isaf asks. Let me just run through them. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Of course that cannot be true. Christ's sacrifice means that we are welcomed. We are accepted. Romans 5, 1 and 2. We'll think about those verses at communion. Will the Lord reject forever? No, because As we are clothed with Christ's righteousness, he adopts us into his family. Has his unfailing love vanished forever? No. We can only know love because Christ died for us. 1 John 3, 16. Has God's promise failed for all time? No. We know that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ in 2 Corinthians 1, 20. He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises, so they cannot fail. Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? No. No. He has provided salvation by his mercy. Remember Ephesians 2, 4 and 5? It is through Christ that we are saved. By grace we have been saved. We have been made alive in him. So Jesus Christ enables us to be assured of God's love, enables us to be assured of God's care, of God's constant presence, of God's hope, of God's security for our eternity. And so yes, these moments of doubt and sleepless questionings will come. But when they do, let's turn and fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the one who secures our salvation. He is the one whose sacrifice has been accepted on our behalf. He is the one who sends his spirit to empower us. He is the one who has gone ahead to prepare the place for us. And so he is the one who we can trust. He is the one to whom we can say, to this I will appeal. And those glorious truths are unchanging. Now, now, that doesn't mean that our day-to-day circumstances will instantly feel better. But goodness, our hearts will. As we ground ourselves on God's truth, he enables us to face those difficult situations with his power and in his strength. And so when When we feel the the darkness of doubt, when we feel the appearance of God's absence, let's align ourselves with what we know to be true, not what our circumstances lead us to feel. Let's align ourselves with what we know to be true, not with what our circumstances lead us to feel. And as we've seen from the example of Asaph here, these feelings are deep, they're powerful. I get that. The Bible gets that. God understands that. But they are never as strong as God's word. Those seasons of despair are never as enduring as God's promises of grace. And so may we say with Asaph here, to this I will appeal. And all of that leads us then to be able to say in verse 13, Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God. And so we choose to remember the deeds of the Lord. We choose to remember his miracles of long ago. We consider his works. We meditate on his mighty deeds. And as we do, our eyes and our hearts are drawn to him, the one who makes creation tremble, the one who controls nature, the one who lovingly and sacrificially sent his son to take our place. And so we know forgiveness from sin and adoption as his children. And so having considered this great psalm of two halves, as we close, I I wonder if you find yourself in a season of doubt or uncertainty, then there's a psalm for you. And it's a psalm that draws us back to God's heart. It's a psalm that draws us back to God's truth. Not minimizing or trivializing some of the terrible situations we often find ourselves in, but this is a psalm that reminds us of what what is true and unshakable in a world that often feels so fragile. And so may God Almighty, the, the mighty, the most high, may he draw us to his heart. May he equip us for his service so that we can live a life for his glory. Amen. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great truth. We thank you for your unchanging and unwavering truth. And we thank you, Father, that because your truth is secure, that we can give you praise whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And I say that and we pray that knowing that some of the circumstances we find ourselves in really test that ability of our hearts to turn to you. We often find ourselves clouded by our circumstances so that we struggle to see your goodness and grace. Father, would you help us? Would you reach in to those circumstances that seem so dark? And would you show us you, your great truth? Would you show us and remind us of your wonderful deeds in the past? Would you show us and help us to meditate on your wonderful dealings with your people? And that, that helps us, God, because we know that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that your promises are yes and amen in Christ. We know, Father, that you have indeed loved us with a love that sent your Son to the cross. And so in the midst of what may be very difficult circumstances, Father, thank you that your truth is not dependent on our circumstances. Your truth is true and will always be true, has always been true, and will always be true. And so would you strengthen our hearts. Would you lift our eyes to see you when we find ourselves bogged down and distracted by the the sometimes awful circumstances we see? Father, thank you that you are worthy of our praise. Thank you that you are always worthy of that praise. And thank you that as we gaze at your son, what other response is there but to praise you? And so as we turn to your table now, Father, would you help us? as we do what the psalmist has led us to think of here, as we turn our, our minds back, as we remember your great deeds for us, your incredible miracle for us at Calvary. Would you encourage our hearts, we pray? Would you strengthen us? Would you equip us again to live our lives in a way that honors you and glorifies you and screams your name to the people that watch on? We pray as we always do, in your name and for your glory. Amen.